Welcome back for another episode of Super Fun Game Review Podcast Go. Find us on Facebook.com. Welcome back for a special episode of Super Fun Game Review Podcast Go! Well, that was kind of quiet without my fellow podcasters here. So, if you haven't picked up, I'm going to be recording solo today. I uh, took on a special little project that I wanted to do. Uh, We don't typically do PC games, but I came across a title I just could not stay away from. So, just to spice things up today, I decided... Though they're not in the room, I figured I'm going to add my fellow podcasters into the episode just for a little lighthearted entertainment. Isn't that right, Clark? Fucking bitch. Why don't you introduce yourself, Clark? How's it going, everybody? Mr. Ralph. All right, well. Welcome to the show, Steve. (laughs) So, announcing the game of the day. This is a JRPG-style game that I came across at Too Many Games. It's titled... The Great Gaias. By the way, you'll notice our intro song is uh, changed for just this episode. I reached out to the composers for the game, and I got permission from Brian Davis to use some of his tracks in the episode. So this will be an interesting experience, and I can actually share some of the music from the game, which is a fantastic soundtrack. So whenever we do the transitions into the different segments this episode, I will be playing a short clip from some of my favorite tracks in this game. All right, so real quickly, let's let's do my initial impressions. So I came across this booth at Too Many Games. I mean, we 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 spent the whole weekend just kind of roaming around, talking to vendors and, and if you go back and listen to our episode, some of the developers that we met, we we did interviews at Too Many Games. But this is one booth I came across that, that really caught my attention right off the bat. Being a longtime fan of JRPGs, and I just saw the style of the game, and I was like, that is probably something I would really enjoy. Over the course of the summer, I, I was looking for a new game to play. I had some vacation time to use. In the back of my head, I was like, should I pick up that game? And it, it was something I wrestled with for a little bit, but ultimately decided to dive in, give it a shot, and... I gotta say, it's one of the best games I've played in a long time. It just instantly took me back to to some of the early JRPGs that I played. As we uh, pick apart the game tonight, I think it's apparent you can, you can definitely see the inspiration of some of these earlier titles. But we'll get to some of those points in a little bit. So the one thing that they're promoting at their booth at Too Many Games was that there was 17 playable characters. And, and something that's always driven me nuts when it comes to RPGs like this is, for example, I guess if you get to a certain point in the storyline and it potentially locks uh, certain things out, like maybe you can't do this quest anymore because you, you've progressed too far in the storyline. So I was trying to, to, to dig into the game, like, is it possible to unlock all these characters in one playthrough? So they were trying to answer my questions without giving too much away of the game because... Um, as you'll find out later this evening, there is a certain character that, that you can unlock later in the game, but but it really ties into the story of this game and the the 
ultimate ending to this game. And they were, <laughs> they were trying to answer my questions without giving too much away from the game. And I, I, I do respect that. But uh, before we get into game development here, why don't we listen to one of the tracks from the game? So game development, guys. Oh, real quick, before we uh, start it off, Clark, you're a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you, Harry. (laughs) Nice. Missed that. Missed opportunity. Uh, Um, So anyway, so this game was released June 22nd, 2018. So this is a relatively new game. It is released on Steam, but it's not on any platforms. Again, uh, we we don't typically do PC games, but... I, I just I couldn't deny doing an episode on this game. I just fell in love with this game right away. Cool, cool little experience for this episode. I, I did reach out to the developers of the game. So this was developed by um, Horizon End, and it was uh, produced by Brian Swan and Matt Papalardo. Now these guys, they, they got inspiration from this game because they, they ran a D&D campaign. This game came from that D&D campaign that they ran. Even the characters, um, w- which we'll get into in a little bit. But they have like, even listed on like the, the wiki page, like the original characters from the campaign and, and which ones actually translated to the final product here. So if you could just imagine like, like anybody who's played D&D out there, just kind of think back to your favorite campaign and just think how awesome it would be if you could actually turn that story that you played into a game. So what's really cool for this episode, I did a Q&A with the developers of the game. They got back to me with answers to my list of questions, and I, I figured we, we should go down the list. I could share some of this information that I learned with you, and I'll uh, make sure I post this on the Facebook page as well, so you can take a look at the physical copy. So the first question I asked was, so you mentioned that most of the characters were from a D&D campaign. Where did you get the inspiration for the non-campaign characters? And he said, through our world-building efforts and advancement through our various campaigns, I had time to work on the more important NPCs while writing quests based on where the characters were going. I always enjoyed culture and architecture, so it is easy to draw inspiration from actual human history. We have run the homebrew twice before beginning The Great Guy as JRPG, aiding in further developing details about characters and landscape. So basically, they joked about making a game based on like some of the games that they grew up to love, and it just that joking around actually turned into a realistic idea. So I did ask, like, like what were some of the biggest challenges creating this game? And, and it boiled down to, like, like, there was a lot of challenges along the way, but I was told that, that marketing is the hardest aspect for this. So I proceeded to ask, like, how, how did they find the composers for this game? Aaron Krogh and Brian Davis, which I also reached out to and uh, got responses from, they said they listened to, like, hundreds of composers on the internet, and, and it, finally they, they stumbled on these two, which they felt could breathe life into their story. I think it's absolutely amazing. I think they made the right call with these composers. They're very talented gentlemen. I will also include in the show notes a link to where you can purchase this soundtrack because it's absolutely amazing. I can't share the entirety of the soundtrack, but I highly recommend picking this up. It is just a fantastic 
well put together soundtrack and they implemented in the game in just a perfect harmony. I did ask what your favorite segment of the game was, and he said chapter three, which we'll talk about more in story, but it's a point in the story when the the party splits up into three main components and you have to play out each part of the story to progress in the game. And it's, uh, I agree, it's one of the better points in the story. Um, I'll dive into some of the details when we talk about the story, but it is a fantastic point in the game and it's, it's right around the early middle of the game. And that's uh, when I feel like the game really shows its true colors and and what it's meant to be. I did also ask, like, what are some of the regrets with the finished product? And the only regret that that came to mind was that certain things had to be cut just to stay on the time frame of development of this game. I think there was supposed to be an expanded bestiary and uh, I guess a more fleshed out crafting system in the game. Again, there's also a uh, side quest in this game called Build Your City. It's a very, very lengthy part of this game. I I know they've fixed certain things along the way to make it a little bit easier, but nonetheless, it is still a long portion of the game to complete this side quest. So again, I'd like to thank Brian Swan and Matt Papalardo for actually reaching out to me. It's such an honor to talk to you guys and get some information on the inside about developing this game before releasing this. So thanks again, guys. I uh, hope you enjoy the episode. So let's talk about the story for a little bit. Now, fair warning to anybody getting into this game. It is a very long story, but it's okay because it is very engrossing the entire time. These are some of the best gaming characters I've come across in a long time. They're they're very fleshed out. It's a very heartwarming story at times, but it's very dark at times. And what's really good, like, so I I love the Final Fantasy franchise, but the thing that kind of irks me is that there's this very lighthearted tone a lot of times in, in Final Fantasy, and they, when things start to get serious in Final Fantasy, then a, a Moogle shows up and does some goofy stuff, and there's this very, I don't, how do I put it? There, there's lighter tones in the Final Fantasy series, and these guys that developed the great guy is like, they don't pull the punches like that. There are a lot of death scenes in this game and it it just makes for a very dark story at times and I I really love that about this game. I have some minor gripes with the story and I I think this game potentially suffers from some of the same things that maybe Final Fantasy 12 or Final Fantasy Tactics suffer from where there's just this sense of maybe there's just too many named NPCs. I, I know Tactics especially. There's just so many NPCs involved in this political conflict that you sometimes forget who somebody is when they pop up later in the storyline. And there are times when characters would jump on the screen that the game almost expects you to remember, but I just, I don't know, I was overwhelmed at times with how many characters there were, and therefore, I guess, lost some impact on some of these scenes. But overall... I gotta say, it's a fantastic storyline. Like like I said, it's very dark. And I, I know the creator said, like, chapter three 
was one of his favorite segments of the game, and I absolutely 100% agree. And it has a very Final Fantasy VI feeling when the characters all get split up, but yet you play these three distinct, well-fleshed-out, like, character-building segments in the game. And, and same thing here. Like, there, there's a time when the one character, Potts, who is with uh, Elena at this segment in the game, they go off and do their thing. Very similar to um, when Celis has to revive the fisherman on the island by catching the fish in the sea. Potts is basically unconscious, and Elena has to go out, find the food, find water, and trying to take care of him while he's uh, resting in a cave. So very similar feel there, but did not lose any impact whatsoever. It's just a very strong point in this game. Wayne, the paladin in the game, one of my favorite characters, by the way, he's going on a crusade to find a murderer in a city who's been uh, killing members of the Order, and it's an opportunity for them to introduce new characters. I know he comes across a summoner and a, um, a sorceress at this point in the game, so it was a, a nice moment to introduce new characters and like uh, make them really feel like a, a like a part of the team instead of like just tacked on at the end. Like each character has an interesting backstory, and there's something about like the limitation of your party. Like you have to get through these challenges, and you don't have your entire extended party to kind of lean on to get through this. Like these are the set members you have. You got to make do. So it really challenges you to figure out the best strategy how to use these characters. Do I put them on the back line so they take less damage? Like, what, what are their strong points? Like, what abilities stand out with these characters? But not only that, it lets you kind of focus in and enjoy these specific characters and what struggles they're going through with their story. But the last party in this game was probably the most lighthearted one, but it was equally interesting. Bruger and Kalos. Uh, one is a elven druid and the other a dwarven barbarian sorry and they're also tagged along with a uh, human ranger as well so very very diverse characters all very unique play styles but uh they go on a tirade where they get um put into slavery but they they find a way that they can win back their freedom by going through like the gladiator ring so so there's this whole story surrounding the these gladiators and and Again, you acquire a new character, which is a very powerful character in my mind. There's this whole side story of what's going on with the Minotaurs of the North, which was also a, a very fantastic story. And what's good about all these stories is they, they kind of play into the, the main story as well. Like, they're not just like a little side piece that you, you play through and then forget about. Like, all these like little side plots are intricately tied into the, the main story of this game, which is incredible design when it comes to the storytelling and when it comes to the storytelling of this game one of the coolest aspects which I, I thought about numerous times is one of the very first scenes of the game you play as Potts he is a thief who works for an assassin guild with uh, another character named Atreus who is uh, his character class is assassin but anyway so one of the early scenes in the game, Potts has a mark. They, they get handed down these marks of who they must kill or steal from or, or what have you. And it's this one scene basically is the catalyst for all the events to come. And this, this early scene isn't like a forgotten part of the game. Like it ties into the ending and another character in the game so well. So he, he basically goes to assassin this guy, but ends up murdering his wife and his daughter as well. And you'd think like this would just be a standalone event or, or maybe just a character building scene. But because of who he murdered ties into 
the overall plot of the game and sets the course for another character in the game in a big way. Now, again, I typically we, we do spoilers and everything within the story segment of games, and there will be some spoilers, but I don't want to spoil every little detail for you guys. Like with most games, you have that rival character. And in this game, his name is Belkis. So let me explain a little backstory first before I, I dive into the whole Belkis thing. So there's this character, Blackheart. And he is trying to resurrect. So so in the past, there was the, the Children of Light. And they all banded together with their storylines and sealed away the Dark Emperor. Broke this rune apart that would prevent him from coming back. But in the past... And this is the, the, the one thing that <laughs> really throws a kink into their plan. So it's destined that he's going to come back. And in, it's actually a flaw of one of the party members. So one of the, the bad guys from the past, rather than killing him, they bestow a curse on him that makes him basically live forever. He, he can't die. Not, not that he's immortal, but that he's going to live hundreds of lifetimes over and over again destined to wander the earth until the ends of time as his punishment. So that was their undoing of the characters in the past because he is the one that comes to power years later to gather up these rune pieces so that he can release this dark emperor. And that's that's what brings us to present day when when the characters in your party that you're accumulating throughout the game are like the reincarnation of the the children of light before. So they're like the new band of Children of Light. So what that ties into, so this, this Belkis character that, that's basically your rival throughout the game, and you fight him many times and, and his party, he's convinced that he is the reincarnation of one of the old characters. And he's convinced almost to a fault where he blindly attacks you out of this almost like jealous rage. People are, are praising you for being the Children of Light, and he's like almost jealous of it. So you fight this party over and over again, and it's an interesting party. It it's, um, has really unique characters. So Belkis continuously fights you over and over again, and you're, you're thinking the whole time, like, this guy, he thinks he's the, the reincarnated character, and the, like maybe that's like a whole big joke. But then like later in the game, it's revealed that he was right all along, and that you were wrong. Wayne, I, I think, was the character that he was referring to as the uh, reincarnated character, but it was actually Belkis. But it's such a cool, unique twist. When you, as the player, are convinced that Wayne is this reincarnated character, when in fact it's actually Belkis the whole time, and it was just like a cool little twist that, that hits you towards the end of the game. And this rival of yours actually becomes part of your party later in the game when certain events come to fruition. Another inspired moment for this game. So most of us have played Final Fantasy VII out there and kind of think back to the first time when, when Eris died by Sephiroth's sword in that game and how an impactful moment that was in the game. And there is a character in your party that succumbs to almost the, the same kind of fate that she did in that game. But what's really cool about this game is towards the end of the game, it's to achieve like the best ending of this game, you can have her revived and how it all plays out. Like I uh, mentioned earlier, this murder scene in the beginning of the game 
ties into another character in the game who becomes this ultimate sorcerer, like the, the, the Lord of Sorcery, I think his title was. And he can manipulate time. And by achieving this side quest that you do like late in the game, it's a really hard side quest with some really hard bosses. But it's so cool how those moments early in the game where you killed this character's family, which inspires him or sets him down a path to become the Lord of Sorcery, which then sets him down the path where you can use his Lord of Sorcery manipulation of time to bring back a character. Like it, it all ties into this one amazing storyline. All these side plots are so intricately tied together in such a way that, that makes for a very unique experience. Wow, I don't know, just how that all came to light. Like it wasn't just a side quest set alone to bring back this character, just how it was woven into the main story, just made for such a cool experience there. And just you've all seen those those plot points in movies or something when what what what's it called? A um Day Ex Machina, when when writers write themselves into a corner and just kinda blanket over this one idea that fixes all the things that they they cornered themselves with. This was a intricately planned out story that didn't have to use that device to bring back that character it was woven into the main story which was fantastic design so overall the, the characters in this game are endearing the plot is for the most part pretty dark and very engrossing there are some lighthearted moments in the game but they don't take away from the story it, it's all for character building at this point but again i don't want to spoil everything in this game so so go check it out and let me know what you think of this game Alright guys, before we wrap up story, let me ask my fellow podcasters real quick what they thought about it. Clark, did you find enjoyment in this story? That's kind of the goal. Alright, a little pretentious, but that's fine. Uh, Ralph, what, what, what did you think of it? I actually enjoyed like the story within the story. Okay, okay, fair opinion. Steve, Steve, how did you handle this story? That was, that was good. Rocked house on that story. That was... That took a while. I was surprised. I agree. I agree. All right, cool, guys. Well, let's uh, let's move into gameplay. But beforehand, let's listen to one more piece from that beautiful soundtrack. Alright, so let's talk about the gameplay for a little bit. So the battle system does feel like the classic JRPGs with the wait timer. So you have the bar that, that scrolls up with your time. You can take your time choosing your actions, whether you want to attack, use a spell, ability, defend, um, equipping different equipments. And that kind of plays in. So what I find with a lot of the older Final Fantasy games is you can actually get to a point in the game where you overlevel a character... And all you have to do is click attack repeatedly to get through that battle. That's not so much the case in this game. Random battles can still eliminate your party if you're not careful. You can't just by default click attack repeatedly to get through every single battle. Which makes it for a much more engaging gameplay segment. Because, again, like I said, like, like you get to that point where you just hit attack in Final Fantasy games. And it makes for a very boring experience for a lot of games. 
But this, you have to utilize all your abilities and lots of planning to get through these just random battles, not to mention the boss battles, which are a whole different beast in itself. And I think that makes for a very engrossing gameplay experience. And what's great is, so you have 17 playable characters, which is an amazing feat of itself. As per tradition with D&D classes, like they are all represented here. So I'll just go down the characters real quick. You have Potts, the human rogue, Atreus, the human assassin, Virgil, the human wizard, Kalos, the elven druid, Bruger, the dwarven barbarian, Elric, the human ranger, Elenia, the human priestess, Griswold, the human cleric, Wayne, the human paladin, Quaythorn, the human conjurer, Fury, the human sorceress, Agrimed, the Syrian gladiator, Valdrek, the human spell sword, Salia, the elven alchemist, Hero, the human dragoon, Belkis, the human fighter, and Adele, the human engineer. So what's great about these classes, like some obviously they use magic, some use more abilities, some are more adept for healing, some are more your damage dealers, some are your tanks, like like there's so many different party members. And for a good portion of the game, you are limited to what characters you can use in your party. That's more of a convention of just getting through the story and following like a more, I don't want to say linear path, because the game is pretty open world for most of the game. Like you don't have to follow a set path, but until you really get into like the area of the game where you're wrapping up, you are limited on those parties, which helps you learn each character. But towards the end of the game, party opens up to whatever you want to make it, including your your party lead. Like I know in a lot of Final Fantasy games, like um, Cloud is forced to be in your party for the entirety of the game. Same thing with Squall in, in Final Fantasy VIII. A lot of the, the Final Fantasies force you to do that. But in this game, it does open up to to change the party around however you see fit. And the, the combinations are like endless. The, the 17 characters, like if you really like your mages, do it up. If you like an all-fighting party, do it up. And each character plays so uniquely. Like, like Potts focuses on his speed, so you're doing like two actions for every one action some of your characters do. And characters like Kalos, like he has being a druid, he can turn into a, basically a, a treant and recover magic points each turn in addition to firing off extremely powerful spells. Or Valdrek, who has the ability to enchant his weapon with an element. And he can do this at will during each battle, change it to lightning or ice, fire. I mean, each character, I can't stress enough, plays so unique. And there's not really one character that I dislike having in my party. They all bring something unique to the table. Like Agrimed, he's a gladiator. He has the ability to buff the entire team with like a haste effect or a defensive effect or regen while other characters like Bruger, for example, he's a barbarian. He, he if anybody's familiar with D&D, the, the ability to cleave, he has abilities to just like slash it like all the enemies on the screen. Your assassin character has the ability to just kill a character. And in some games, like abilities like that, like, like the really powerful abilities have no effect on bosses. Like, a lot of the really powerful effects in this game aren't just like branded as uh, ineffectual against bosses. Summons are in this game. There's a character that can do summons. You have to track those down. Your healers. Now, there, there's, I guess, like 
four-ish healers and you have some backup healers. So depending on your play style, like, like the cleric, he can take a beating, the high defense, and he can wear heavy armor and and there's your healer. Or you also have your your healers, like like I mentioned, uh, Kalos, the, the druid, he can heal, but he can also dish a lot of damage. Or the human priestess character, Elena, she has the ability to put like a resurrection ability on you. So if you do drop, boom, you just pop up without needing a revive spell. And uh, like cool abilities, like with the, with the Paladin Wayne, he has this ability where he charges. And it's such a cool animation of this lightning striking down and him just hopping on a horse and riding across the, the screen with a lance. But he has like impeccable defense. Like he can take like 10 hits for every one hit that another character can take. It's just so so each character just plays into the party so well. And and just having that makeup of uh however you want to do it is just awesome. Not to mention each character has an insane amount of abilities to unlock, whether it be different spells or different tactical moves or different elements to unlock like each character has an, a, a plethora of abilities to unlock to make them uniquely played so there isn't like a copy and paste character there isn't two characters that that play the exact same they they all have their their strengths and their weaknesses so so making a, a balanced and effective party is totally in your hands now i did mention it is open world such a retro throwback towards the end of this game you unlock the airship which lets you just fly all over the world. And there's there's quite a few places to visit. There's a lot of hidden places to visit. So that, that open world experience, there's so much to explore in this game that you'll just find yourself going down numerous pathways off of the, uh, the main story beats of this game, just exploring different areas, interacting with different characters. Uh, again, like towards the end of the game, I made a checklist of all like the side quest stuff I wanted to do. And it, I thought I was going to be able to hammer it out pretty quickly, but it tacked on basically another like 45, 50 hours worth of gameplay before I got to the end. Now, there's some other aspects of the gameplay. Like there's a whole crafting system. Like there's a ton of different accessories you can wear on your character, just blocking certain elements, preventing certain side effects, granting new abilities. So however you want to craft in the game, like they, they set up, like vendors will, will share which items they need to assemble some of these accessory pieces and there, there's minerals and different ingredients you need to find throughout the world, which you can pick up through through mining or just picking up on the ground or finding in chess or receiving as loot from killed enemies. So there, there's a if that's your thing, like th this game is really open to to scrounging for ingredients to make up some of this, this ultimate equipment in the game. Now, certain things I, I find maybe not necessary to this game. There, there's certain attributes that made me originally think that this was more tied to D&D than I expected. So there's these abilities called uh, like Disable Device and Mining and Lock Picking. For example, if you walk over a square uh, or a, a square on the grid that contains a trap, it rolls a D20 on the screen. And if it rolls high enough, you avoid taking damage from the trap. And then this skill grows up to a cap of 100. But it didn't... Again, same thing with mining. When you come across a rock that's glowing, you can mine it, get some ore. And when you come across a locked chest or locked door, you can lockpick. Same thing, D20 rolls on the screen. If high enough, it's a success. If 
It's low enough, you fail. The problem is it just seems extremely unnecessary. So the disable device is probably the most useful because if you disarm the trap and then you roll high enough, you, you get an item from it. Or if you roll low, and the trap affects you. It could hit you with a poison status effect or do just do fireball damage or, or something like that. But the other ones seem almost irrelevant. Like, for example, like the mining. So if you fail the mining, there's really no penalty. You just click it again. It's the same as picking up an item. It's just adding a d20 roll. And yes, if you hit a 20, you get more ore. But other than that, it's just not, it just doesn't seem fitting in the game. Same thing with unlocking a chest. If you fail unlocking the chest, you don't lose the chest. You just do it again, which seems, again, unnecessary to the game. So another thing, <laughs> this was a, a bigger gripe with the game. Early in the game, now I should mention, when I played this on PC, I plugged in a USB port controller. I didn't want to play with keyboard. I I wanted it to feel like that that retro feel. So there's this puzzle early in the game where where you're running through this labyrinth of rocks and this giant boulder is chasing you. And if the boulder touches you, it basically flashes up the the game over screen because you instantly die. It is an extremely difficult point in the game and it actually took me numerous amounts of attempts to get past this point in the game. And it was a very frustrating experience that, that almost added a puzzle platformer kind of experience to a JRPG game. And it just felt a little out of place because it was a, a difficult moment in the game, not like a boss fight or something, but because I kept getting stuck on rocks. Now, reading on the forums, it, it seemed like a lot of people got around that by clicking with the mouse because you wouldn't have to X like... It avoided that accidental not hitting on the D-pad quick enough. You can just keep clicking on the map ahead to get through the area and the character automatically runs to those specific clicks. So I guess playing with the controller put me at a disadvantage at that section of the game. And I hear they went back and, and patched up certain things with that. But at the time of playing that point, it was an extremely frustrating experience. And it's very early in the game as well. Now, talking about the boss fights real quick... I gotta say the biggest breath of fresh air that you'll get from this game is the bosses are consistently challenging from start to finish on this game. So there's no like serious pushovers and you need to pull like all your punches. Well, don't don't pull your punches, but you need to pull out all the tricks to get through some of these bosses and knowing when to use certain abilities. And I found myself once in a while just using the wrong ability or not timing something perfectly and it ends in a party wipe. Now, to some that might seem frustrating, but again, I find generally speaking, JRPGs are too easy and it was nice getting a little bit of a challenge in this game that makes you kind of think outside the box. And when something doesn't work, how do you get around it in battle? Like for example, let's say a boss is immune to magic. And maybe very resistant to damage. Well, what what can you do at that point? It could be as easy as finding a way to lower the defense on the, the boss and maybe increasing your character's speed so you're getting more hits in. Or I know certain bosses will have 
like a mass spell that hits everybody with a death spell simultaneously. Like, how do you get around that? Is it the equipment that you have to wear? Do you have to start somebody dead in the battle? And like, there's so many different bosses with their like, like neat little trick that makes you reevaluate the, the way you do battles in the game. And this happens time after time after time in the game to keep things fresh and interesting when you're doing these boss battles. And and the challenge is is real in this game. If you're looking for a very easy experience, this is not the game for you. But I find that the bosses are extremely rewarding in that sense. So when you finally beat that boss that has beaten you down so many times after so many times, it just feels so good to come away from that victory and, and start progressing in the story again. So overall, the uh, the gameplay experience is fantastic aspect of this game and again you you play video games for the gameplay experience and you won't be disappointed with this game Let's talk graphics, guys. So I've always loved the, the top-down look JRPG feel, like, again, dating back to Final Fantasy VI. I know I bring that up continuously. But it takes that level of graphics and enhances in a way without losing that retro feel. Now, now for example, like, let's talk about an earlier Final Fantasy or, or Chrono Trigger or, or even, like, a original Wild Arms, for, for that sake. So there's... The flora that they put in the game, like let's say there's a pine tree, for example. You'll see that same pine tree copy-paste, copy-paste, copy-paste in some of those earlier titles. But what they do in this game, like when it comes to like trees and such, you find so many different variances of trees without losing that retro look. But it changes up the environments. You'll, you'll see cherry blossoms, pine trees... I don't know, just tons of different trees that really change up the landscape and make it look unique without that repetition that a lot of earlier games had. And it's not bashing earlier games. They were working with limited hardware. It's just for this game, they kept that feel, but used like modern technology to enhance it in such a way that it makes it look unique. The towns look very charming in this game. Now, I will admit some of the bigger castles I find are very easy to get lost, but I like the look of the towns. And and even when characters die, they'll leave bloodstains on the map to, to make it feel a little bit more violent and dark and lived in. Now, one of my favorite aspects of the graphics of this game is the sprite work. Specifically, the main characters of the game. I like how they each look so unique in battle. And they, they have this like little like dance kind of thing. It's not it's just their movement back and forth. It's only a couple different frames of movement within battle. But the way they move with certain battle themes that kick in, it just makes it look a little bit like they're dancing, which I think is hilarious and very charming. But the sprite work is top notch in this game. Now, I have some, I guess, minor gripes with uh, the game's look. Now, number one, the enemies that you encounter in the game. I think there's a little bit of variance in some of the design. Like, some enemies look fantastic, but there's a couple that I think may have been 
early creations and rather than being redone later in the game were kept in the game and there's one specific that stands out and there's this goblin model that i don't think looks on par with the rest of the creatures in the game at times almost looks out of place so in my opinion i would have cut that character from the game now when it comes to bell use the magic looks fantastic in this game and and one spell specifically there's um with the wind element there's like a a tornado spell and a gust spell and just the way it looks looks fantastic like almost like three-dimensional in a 2d world and it just pops in such a way that looks so cool and i'll try to post maybe like a small video of like a gust spell on the uh, facebook page just so you can see but it looks awesome and then when you're in battle I mentioned before that there's just all these unique abilities per character, but like none of the animations are reused. Like each each ability has its own distinct effect on the screen, which gives it just a very unique look in battle rather than repeatedly seeing the same thing over and over and over again. Like I mentioned before, the gust spell has a very unique look or an enhanced spell picking up somebody's speed has a unique look. Where hail of arrows coming down from the sky has unique like like all these effects that you use in battle each have their own like really neat looking animation and again it, it feels very retro in in the look of it but it throws like a modern edge at some of the look another aspect with like early jrpgs that i've always been a sucker for is the uh the static backgrounds in battle it's typically just a just plain atmospheric art but i always found it just very charming a beautiful like piece of art just sitting in the background whether it be in the desert or in the forest or in in city square like just that simple piece of art they put in the background but they all look absolutely fantastic and really really add to the the element of battle in this game yeah no uh overall the look of the game is very well done i i commend these guys for creating this game and Whoever did the, the, the art direction of the game just did a stand-up fantastic job. let's uh, take some time to talk about the music of this game and I am extremely excited to talk about this part because I think this soundtrack stands out among almost every single soundtrack I've ever listened to in a game and I after putting in maybe 40-50 hours of this game I was like I I've got to own this soundtrack Nobu Umatsu in his career in Final Fantasy like like he just knew how to hit certain melodies and and, and music tone and just really know how to create masterpieces in early JRPGs. And with the newer Final Fantasies, like they're, they're not bad soundtracks, but they don't leave any kind of like an impression on me or or some kind of like song I can just like hum along in my head. This game caught me by surprise very quickly with the soundtrack. Some of the music feels just 
amazing in this game. Like, and, and I find myself like now that I'm playing the game and I put so many hours in, like when certain tracks or like certain battle themes kick in, like I can just like hum along and like really get into it and playing drums on, on the edge of the desk and just a fantastic experience. Hopefully you've enjoyed the, the tracks I selected to play this evening up until now in the episode. I'd like to dive into a couple more in this segment. But again, I did reach out to the composers of the game, Aaron Krogh and Brian Davis. I can't express my thanks to these two gentlemen enough for um, responding back and, and giving me a few words to use on the podcast this evening. So again, I did another Q&A. Let me just kind of breeze through some of the questions and I'll uh, share some of their responses here. So both of them agreed that working with the creators of The Great Guys was a fantastic experience and they're very excited to continue working with them on their their next title as well. I do know, I don't know all the details behind it, but halfway through the project, Aaron Krogh had to step down, and that's when Brian Davis stepped in to finish the soundtrack. So half of the soundtrack is created by Aaron, and then the other half by Brian. They both did a fantastic job on this soundtrack. There's not really one track that I'm just disgusted with. Like, all of these pieces are just so well put together, really represent the scene that's going on in the game. And I even mentioned to him, like, I haven't heard a soundtrack this well-rounded since Final Fantasy VI. And I know that's saying something, but I think it is well-earned in this game. Like, these guys just, they knocked it out of the park with these tracks. Again, I'm going to leave links in the show notes. Go check out this soundtrack. It's, I I purchased it online for $10, and it's worth every single penny so go out there show support for these guys you won't regret picking this up so one of the questions what was your inspiration for the soundtrack obviously they they said Nobuo Umatsu and you could kind of hear some of that inspiration in, in a few of the tracks that I've played and one of my favorite tracks it's titled Blackheart and when you fight Blackheart in the game this song kicks in and it's just such an amazing piece and Like three of the things I'm guilty of loving in music are one, like like choir backup vocals, you know, something that sounds like, oh, I'm sorry, guys. Was that not good for you? Ralph, why don't you show what you got? All right. Well, (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Steve, you want to go at it? No. Come on, Steve. Don't be your usual bitch ass self. All right, everybody together now. All right, yeah, that that's what I thought. And moving on. But I'm also a sucker for like a sick guitar solo. And lastly, like some really awesome beats. And, and this song has all three of those. So no wonder I like fell in love with this song, but it is just a, it's a masterpiece. And when you get to this fight in the game and this song kicks in, it just makes for an all around just epic experience. So I asked like, how long did this soundtrack take to produce? And when Brian Davis came onto the scene, he said like when he picked up doing the second half of the soundtrack, that it still took a little over a year to develop. And where some songs would come very quickly, the one song that he spent a numerous amount of time on was um, one of the last tracks on the soundtrack called Ascension. And where, where he said certain took a couple days, this took weeks to produce. Uh, he took some inspiration from uh, Uematsu's One-Winged Angel, 
this this track takes place in like one of the pinnacle moments of the game and he just wanted to make sure to make it feel appropriate for this point in the game so i asked brian like where where did he get his start producing music and he said he uh it was always a big part of his life he went to college with scholarships in vocal and instrumental music and uh i guess while he was in college he signed up for a class about writing music and then instantly fell in love with with producing his own music so while trying to secure a job writing scores for movies where he expressed that it's too saturated with a few taking up a majority of the work in that field but he put together a portfolio working on games and that's that's where he got his start making soundtracks for games again i asked brian like what were some of the biggest obstacles or challenges producing the music for the great guys and he said he had never made metal music before and learning to compose and produce that was one of the biggest challenges for this game and in my opinion i will say it's one of the coolest aspects of this game hearing that that heavy metal and and guitar riffs and solos in some of the music in this game and um again in addition to the guitar solos in blackheart and and metal uh vibe in that song uh, there's another track called much more fighting which i used in the intro for the episode that also just really takes that element of metal and just runs with it in such a positive way So for my final thoughts, I'm going to read the exact review I left on Steam for this game. All you fans of JRPGs out there, take a few moments with me and ponder over the greatest titles you've played. For me, I was captivated by the battle system of The Legend of Dragoon, in love with the characters of Final Fantasy VI, charmed by the world of Earthbound, and humming along to the beautiful songs of Final Fantasy VII. Imagine the greatest aspects of all your favorite JRPG games wrapped in one beautiful work of art. And that art is the great guys. JRPG games seem like a thing of the past, as the first-person shooters and action RPGs take the spotlight. Thankfully, creative minds with ambitions to continue this genre still exist. I haven't enjoyed a game to this extent in a long time, and when I say I enjoy, I have 130-plus hours logged to prove it. The storytelling is top-notch, with endearing characters and tragic villains. Even the side quests, and boy are there a lot of them, all intricately tie into the overarching story. The combat is strategic and difficult from the beginning to the end of the game, with a plethora of bosses and mini-bosses, each with unique quirks to make you rethink your strategy. Even the random encounters challenge you to remain engaged, unlike some Final Fantasy games where you can easily hold down the attack function. The soundtrack for this game is produced by two of the most talented composers I've listened to in gaming. This soundtrack is a must-own masterpiece and rivals that of Final Fantasy VI, and I don't say that lightly. This game will never get the same level of attention as a AAA mainstream title, but deserves it for its quality and quantity of entertainment value contained. I've seen many criticize the $29.99 price point, but with so many games on the market today flooded with microtransactions to make a quick buck, or games with multiple packages of DLC, I'll pay $30 any day to get a full experience without worry of additional expenses. 
All right, guys, let's move in to the score. I'm going to keep it short and sweet, and I think it is well-deserved, but I'm going to give this a 9.5 out of 10, which is going to tie with Earthbound. All right, before I finish up tonight, just a couple more things. First of all, I want to thank Aaron Krogh and Brian Davis for allowing me to use the soundtrack from this game. Uh, you guys did a phenomenal job on this. Brian Swan and Matt Papalardo, thank you again for reaching out and uh, giving me some background information on this game. You guys did a fantastic job creating this piece of art. And just as a service to our listeners and the guys that made this game, I am going to post a link to the soundtrack in the show notes. I'm also going to post a link to where you can find this game on Steam. And just a little bit of background information to all of our listeners. I'm going to post the full conversation I had with these guys through email. I'll post the uh, full conversation on Facebook so you guys can take a look. And lastly, I just want to ask my fellow podcasters, um, just quickly pretend I'm not in the room so you can freely speak about it but how did i do uh hosting the show by myself tonight as far as i can tell he fucked up and then he really fucked up by by telling everybody about it It, it's really humbling too jesus ralph i think my favorite part out of this is just watching harry try to live cool well thank you for listening i'm gonna uh trail off the episode with one more track from the soundtrack but uh stay tuned guys um for the whole group getting together again The next game we're going to release is Dark Souls 3, which I'm hoping you are uh, super excited to listen to. All right, guys, everybody listening, stay sexy.